Hey, hello, everyone. This is Carlos Marino and Brian Kirkner with Good Dog Workshop, your podcast resource for successfully working with your dog. And we'll help you to sift through the wrong and ridiculous information out there. We'll help you understand dogs and how to effectively work with dogs' nature, not against it. So in short, we'll teach you how to speak dog. Hey, Brian, what's up? Hey, Carlos. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, so basically the podcast topic today is something we encounter a lot when we meet with people and they have a little bit of a background with training, meaning basic training. What what am I what am I talking about? And what do you think, Brian, when when you hear that word basic training or obedience training? It's it's always sit, down, stay, heal, and come. Basic stuff. People people can uh, can learn that from from just about any trainer out there, but they're in our opinion they're doing it wrong. But sit, stay down, heal, and come. And it's funny that they call it obedience training, but do we actually get obedience from basically having our dogs associate a command with a treat? Do we get, does that, it seems weird to me that they would call it obedience training, but that's what they call it. And that's what most people know it as sit, stay, heal, down, and come. Yeah. And that's supposed to somehow gain. Uh, allow you to have control of your dog, right? Once you graduate from, let's say, obedience class, wherever that may be, um, you're ready. But that's I mean, not that's in the case. No, that's how, that's how they sell it. But no, that's not the case. In, in in this, we were talking about this before. To us, this is more like you're programming a robot, not teaching a dog. It's not. I think the main point here is you're not training your dog. You're not teaching your dog to have a relationship with you. You're teaching him to respond to certain words, period. And that just doesn't make any sense because that's not how dogs work with each other. So why doesn't this work when you meet with um, a friend, a client, a potential customer? Why does this not work so well? And why do people think it works? Well, people, people, people think it works because a lot of times the trainers are good salesmen, or at least they're better salesmen than the, than the people that they're, uh, that they're trying to learn from think they are. So you just get someone who's, you know, less knows less than the, uh, than the, the guy at, uh, at one of the big pet stores and is willing to listen. And maybe they think that the results are getting are not perfect, but good enough. And so I think people fall for it out of ignorance. So is there any use for it at all, do you think? Because I remember, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember working for a pet store early on, and I was training to be a trainer. And I remember they had classes. But in these classes, you know, you're looking at a maybe a 15 by 10 room, um, no carpet, it's bad acoustics, and right. a bunch of people are just jammed in there with their out-of-control dogs while one trainer – goes around and says, well, now we're going to work on this, this, and this, and make sure you either have a treat or a toy. And I don't, I don't remember feeling like, like there was any progress made and uh, made. In fact, I see, I saw a lot of frustration, <laughs> a lot of noise. So I don't, I'm not quite sure what, what to make of that, but that was my experience with these basic dog obedience classes. Most of them being at pet stores. Yeah, and I've experienced similar things in the rescue work that I've done and, and some seminars that I've given for, for rescue groups is they always choose a room that's way too small, has bad acoustics, has no um, uh, no carpeting or very little carpeting on the floor. They may not even have any beds for the dogs. And listeners, you may think, well, what does it matter? You know, they, this is for dog training. 
the reason why it matters is because the bad acoustics echo the the sound. So if there's one dog barking or scratching or, or you know, yeah. uh, carrying on, that sound is going to reverberate and just keep echoing back and forth and bouncing and bouncing. And, and then it just creates a, you know, a cacophony of yeah. energy that the dogs just can't help feeding on plus people's voices same thing so you know i think i think if you're doing a group training like this it makes more sense to to do it outside but you know more important than that is you get several dogs or you know a dozen dogs with a dozen or so people in there who don't know how to work with the dogs meaning they don't know how they should be they don't know how their energy should be they don't know that being calm is the is the first step you should always be be doing and so it's one trainer against 12 dogs with 12 owners and yep. it it ends up just being chaos so i don't i don't think it's it's very productive at all like you said yeah i mean i know these people get a certificate and uh, other than that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what more they can gain from it. I know they have like beginner, intermediate, advanced. Yeah. I think the goal is to get that certification, but I can't say that I've seen an out of control dog at a dog park, on a walk, on a leash, in a car, that's ever come down from their high level of arousal or excitement just by someone saying, "No, sit, stay. No, down." down down hey i don't so i'm not sure what it is even with treats i don't see that being effective ever but people do it all the time yeah they certainly try but typically they're not getting results but the good news there is that's why they they come to us is because something something easier didn't work you know you drive drive to pet smart half hour you pay 20 or 25 bucks and then maybe you learn learn a little bit and there's not uh, not so much effort involved other than doing homework that you weren't assigned because the trainers didn't know how to teach you what to do. So it, it really, it really is unfortunate that, uh, that that's how most professional, uh, commercial training goes. And, and that's an important word. They emphasize on commercial commerce. Yes. They're trying to make money. Um, and that's one thing to keep in mind. So we're not telling you don't seek obedience training. Don't seek, uh, you know, to be educated. Uh, just know what you're getting into with these, um, pet stores uh, before you come in. So even if you, for example, do a little research like I've done here, I've, I've worked at one and uh, you know about that experience was um, forgettable, but I've also yeah. gone ahead and gone to the competitor's website and they have uh, basic tips for the 12 common dog behavior problems and how they would address them. They use the word handle them. Here are the top 12 issues of this pet store company uh, of dog behavior problems and how they would handle them. So for example, one of the most common things is barking at visitors. And just so you get an idea of what they kind of recommend, you get an idea of the big picture here. And I'll just read it and you kind of uh, decide for yourselves and we'll chime in, Brian, give me your, your two cents after. But let yeah. me read this real quick. To keep your dog from barking when welcoming visitors, redirect them to a Sit-stay or a down-stay position before answering the door. Then it goes on to say provide the visitor with plenty of treats to give your dog once they are quiet and sitting. And the reasoning is because this associates welcoming a visitor with polite behavior as well as yummy treats. So that's one way that they are 
advertising to the common person just get on their website how they would deal with barking at visitors. So when I what what I come away with this if I was a regular person not having the experience, I come away with this going, man, I don't want my dogs to bark at visitors. According to this pet store, I just give them a command and have the treats ready and voila, the problem should be gone. What what do you see here that's missing, Brian? Well, I'm glad you chose this example because this is one of the most common things that clients call us about. Um, so number one, always having treats in dealing with your with your dog's behavior problems. It's ridiculous because it's impractical. You don't always have treats on you. And if your dog is looking for the treats, they're not paying attention to to you. So you're not working on your relationship with them. You're not working on that the tools of energy, body language, sound, and touch between you and your dog. It's a it's about the the food reward that that you're giving him. So if you have to keep treats on you for everything, and if that's what people are advising, yeah, go go find someone else. But you know what they're what they're doing again is teaching the dog to be robotic is word equals this action instead of teaching the people you want your dog to be calm it doesn't matter whether he's sitting or standing or even moving around we just want him to be calm so these people should be teaching him about you know paying attention to the breathing of the dog the position of the ears the position of the of the of the tail the you know the some of the muscles on the on the face if it if it looks tense or looks excited or is or is bouncing around in a certain way um it's not calm but they don't they don't teach that i think because they genuinely don't know it they don't understand that being calm is the first step in order to get what you what you want even though now saying it's like yeah be calm in order to get calm but they don't understand they seem to think that if you put your dog in a sit then everything will be fine after that. And that's a ridiculous foundation for, for this type of teaching. Yeah, you, you may accomplish the sit-stay command, and the dog may uh, comply for three seconds, five seconds, but then what? They get up? Do you have more treats? No. Well, I'm going to go and bark at or jump at this visitor because it's right. more interesting than the treats. Treats are good, but you know what? This is a new person. They may be a threat. I don't know, but my curiosity has got the best of me. And, and there's no go. reason... And there's no yeah. reason for the dog, dog not to do that. Right. It's natural for them. And treats is, eh, you know, it's almost like a bribe. Sometimes they'll call it a redirection. But in the real world, what I find is that these things are, like you said, impractical, but very, very short-lived. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess what happens when something's short-lived? People just end up repeating it over and over again. And that's where they get in this weird cycle of saying the command over and over again, giving a bunch of treats over and over again. It doesn't seem to end ever. Right. And then we get into repeating the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result is the definition yeah. of an, of insanity. So yeah. yeah, people, people really need to understand that that's, that's not effective. But so now what we're getting into is, well, what, what prevents the dog from jumping up on a person? And, and the, the issue here is a lot of these trainers, in fact, most of these trainers and a lot of dog owners out there and a lot of people in the rescue world do not want to use positive punishment. And yeah, sure, the word punishment sounds bad, but we were all kids. We all got punished for things and we all didn't turn into maniac killers and neither will our dogs. So positive yeah. punishment, it can, it, you know, it, it has its place in the world. And again, dogs do it with each other. You know, one dog will, will you know, warn uh, through body language, through a snarl, through a lip curl um, and, you know, through a snap and maybe even making contact with his teeth to punish the dog to say, I don't want you to come closer to me or, you yeah. know, don't, don't try to take this thing from me. So 
we should be able be able and be comfortable using the same tools that they use with each other in order to get the same good results that dogs get with each it, other. It seems simple uh, as far as the concept, but people have a real problem yeah. being connected with their dog in a physical sense. So, for example, uh, barking at visitors. What would I do? What would you do? What makes us different and more effective? Do you want to go first or do you want me to take No, it? no, go ahead. So if somebody would ask me this, hey, Carlos, I saw this uh, pet store, um, the way they would address it, how would you address it? And for me, it's, it's I try to keep things, things simple. Sometimes I go off on a tangent. Yeah, I apologize. But if I were to try to keep <laughs> it as succinct as possible, the way I explain to people is, look, why is your dog excited? Is the excitement natural? Is it respectful? Okay. Um, so if a dog, in this case, is barking when a visitor comes, I'm not going to address the barking, meaning I'm not going to correct a dog barking because it's, no, it's normal and natural for them. To alert. So, alert. So that's not something that I would waste time or tell people they can fix. So here, barking at visitors, that's not a thing. It's, 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 it's what dogs do, and I'm not going to try to um, destroy or change or think that I'm uh, you know, powerful enough to change their, their biological nature. So anyway, so that's not an issue. Now, if barking at a visitor becomes um, uh, impolite, meaning they cross the, okay, I'm just being a dog and barking into I'm going to jump, okay, right. then I will correct that in a physical sense, right? Uh, especially if it's very egregious, right? Or if they're barking and they're charging while I'm present, that tells right. me something as well. So anyway, I don't want to get too too complicated, but barking at visitors is not something I would say people need to worry about. Only if they bark and the bark becomes something more uh, risky, as in maybe uh, aggression or jumping, something physical, then you would step in. So something like this, I don't even think I would even uh, uh, bother uh, talking about. And, and that's, inter that's interesting that you bring it up that way because I think people want their dogs, because I've, I've heard this a lot, I think a lot of dog owners want their dogs to bark once or twice as an alert to let people know, you know, if there's someone suspicious outside, I have a dog, but to also let the dog owner know, oh, there's someone here, I didn't hear it because the TV was too loud or I was on the phone or something. But then after that, maybe they don't want them to bark too much. But I think the key here for our listeners is to understand that a bark is okay because it's a normal alert for a dog. But if it escalates, then you need to be able to recognize it's about to escalate and or it's likely to escalate and then correct it before it does start to escalate. And that's true for, uh, um, you know, for my my cattle dog, Red, here is he'll bark and then he gets excited. So I have to so I have to step in when he gets excited. But if he just barks, then and but he goes to the door and he's calm, then that's no problem. Like Carl said, is I'm not going to correct it. And we understand that, you know, we each have our own personal preferences on these things and, and thresholds. And if you don't want your bark, dog to bark at all, you can certainly work on that. But the point here is it's normal for a dog to alert bark when they hear a sound. So once or twice, maybe you can let it slide and then just focus on if it escalates, then be ready to, to, to intervene and, and address the dog's behavior. And this is, yeah, and this is where the gap is, I think, between yeah. us and a lot of other training methods and techniques is there's a gap. There's, we want to use tools and treats to accomplish a, they do. yeah, they do, uh, a desired result versus us. We are willing to accept that, hey, we have to sometimes get down 
get physical and apply the correction so that we continue to have influence over our dog with our energy, our presence, our body language, our posturing, right? Because after all, it is our dog or it's a dog you're caring for. Uh, you need to be an influence. And I don't know how you can be an influence with treats um, and uh, being hands off. Uh, of course, I would love to make my job easier, but that's not reality. Let's um, skip to number two here. We talked about this, so this should be quick, Brian. But jumping on guests, they say guests should ignore your dog until they have all four paws on the ground. That sounds like something familiar we heard before on mm -hmm. previous podcasts. Yeah. And if your dog jumps up, guests should turn their backs and leave. So the, uh, the Victoria Stillwell method. Yeah. So again, it's funny. It's amusing to us. But but if if you don't find it funny and amusing, then you're part of the problem because you're actually thinking that this works. This stuff going. Hey, get, uh, your guest arrives and you tell him to go home. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what if the dog doesn't obey? Then you're basically what? If, okay. This is so bad. Turn their backs and leave. So until when? See, they don't go into that detail. Until when? Until the dog's all four paws are on the ground. But if the dog is jumping, they're going to go down to four paws yeah, and back so, up to do it down to. Yeah, they're not clear on uh, this. Okay, so this is confusing stuff, man. This is what I'm talking about. Number three, excessive licking is supposedly something that's a common problem. And they say if your dog starts licking more than usual, get up and walk away. Excuse me, walk away or redirect them to something else. Licking another person or licking themselves? They're not even clear on that. Nope, no, they're not. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I think they probably, I think they, because this is 12 common dog problems, I, I assume it means licking other, licking you. Okay. So they're saying redirect or walk away. Give them a toy or treat when they stop licking you. And, and let me stop you real quick. Again, licking the mouth of another pack member, that's a normal dog behavior. You know, when yeah. Red comes up and Ariel comes up and they, I know they're going to do that to me. I will be a normal um, a senior member of a dog pack and lift my chin up to remind them that I'm above them in the hierarchy. And I'll let them lick away until I'm done with it. But, by the way, but, yeah. but Red, and Ari the Red, Red and Ariel are dogs just so those people there uh, haven't heard. They're not uh, you know, people aren't coming up and licking you. <laughs> no, those, yeah, those are, those are my dogs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good, good point. Um, but it, it's normal for dogs to do that. Now, if you're not a fan of being licked, that's fine. But again, just like physical touch with dogs, just like tugging with dogs, walking dogs, it's a normal part of dog, a dog's way of, of being. It's a normal part of dogdom. And if you're not doing that, if you don't experience that with them, you're really not giving yourself an opportunity to fully understand and have a full comprehensive relationship with your dog. Yeah, I, was, I met with another trainer uh, today, actually, and he wanted to see how I would handle this very, very muscular pit bull dog um, on leash outside. Now, I could tell the dog was young. He was very he had a lot of puppy energy, also hadn't been exercised. The guy had him in a crate. But anyway, long story short, he thought it was unusual how I got close to the dog's face. <laughs> you know how I do this thing? Where yeah, yeah. I really, I really get intimate with the dog, and I don't know why I did it. Um, and and I did say though I, I don't recommend people doing that. But why did I do it? It's because of what you talked about. It's because I want to have a connection. I want the dog to see and smell who I am. I am this person, right? They obviously don't know our names. They don't care. But I want them to smell and see my face as and and be able to associate 
me and my smell and the way my face is and whatever the case may be, the energy that I'm putting forth in a very close way so that the dog knows I'm going to be the one handling them now. Instead of just hooking them up to a leash and yanking on the leash as the only form of communication as well as a, a bunch of commands. Yeah, feel, lit feel, feel, literally, feel, feel. sorry, literally at arm's length. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I, I did it instinctively. And when I looked at, when I look back at it, I realized this must look funny to somebody who's seeing me work for the first time, but it yeah. makes sense to me because it makes sense to the dog and that's how they greet each other. Right. Right. And one more thing I want to insert yeah. in there uh, that a lot of people don't know is by doing that, you're also letting the dog know that you're very confident and you're very comfortable putting your face close to their teeth, their, their weapons, you yeah. know, their, their face. Yeah. And so it really, it's, it's a, and you know, we, we don't recommend everyone to everyone to do this, but it's one of those things. It can really diffuse a situation and tell a dog, I'm so confident in myself. I'm not worried about you. And done properly, that message to the dog can make the dog just completely give up and say, you know what? You're the man. You're in charge. Yeah, I, I will do what you want, and really, well, uh, really take care of any situations after that. And also, if the dog has any insecurity, uncertainty, if you come down to their level, they're like, "Oh, I can, I get you. I got you. I can smell you. I can pick up your energy. You're just another bro, or you're someone that's very confident, and strong. Now, it allows me to relax. Right. Exactly. I remember. I remember real quick, Brian. This is interesting. I remember an appointment that I had years ago. It was, uh, coincidentally, another pit bull. It was a way smaller pit bull. This, this one I worked with was huge. But it was a regular-sized pit bull, you know, maybe 35 pounds, whatever. The lady called me because they were concerned that their pit bull, which was in their basement in Virginia, uh, was might be aggressive. And I had nothing to go on except for what I saw when I arrived. And what I saw when I arrived was a pit bull at the bottom of the stairs in a dark basement with a, with a crate behind. Or right. Excuse me a crate blocking them. And I saw a very nervous pit bull mm -hmm. and I, I did the same thing. Okay. I, I got into his, his or her space. I don't remember if it was male, female. And I got on the, on the floor and I just surrendered. I just relaxed. And the dog was hesitant, walked up to me, smelled my face. And then bam, in a second was super like excited, joyful, relaxed at ease. Almost that, that instant call, allowed the dog to, to basically be like, oh, this person's not a threat, and I can smell them, and we're cool. Let's go. You yeah, know? yeah. You, it, it's one of those things that I say. You, you unburden the dog. He, he yeah. thought he had a job to do to take care of himself because his leaders weren't showing him any, yeah. any strength. So yeah, and so that's one of the subtle things that you can't pick up from going to a pet store no. training class. It's look, these subtle things. Is your dog really aggressive, or are they just nervous? And if they're nervous, you're the one that needs to unburden them, like Brian said. And make them feel at ease. Sometimes it's walking them. Sometimes it's giving them a correction. Uh, sometimes it's like what I did. Get down on their level and just relax and let go and let them check you out. And they're going to go, wow, this person is showing no signs of nervousness. I'm going to just, you know, release this nervous energy and be happy dog. Okay. And, and sometimes that happens with dogs, right, Brian? You'll have a dog that's nervous, another dog that's relaxed and confident comes in and the nervous dog does what? Oh, they, they just kind of give in and, and, and relax. I, yeah, I've exactly. seen, you know, I saw, I saw Morgan do that for so many years and now red is really good with, uh, with doing that as with dogs as well. But it, it, you know, something like that, it does take confidence. So, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to fake since dogs are so good at, uh, at reading yep. us. So I don't recommend 
um, you know, people start off by doing that, but it's yeah. one of those things that's so important, but there's so few people out there who, who talk about it because they just don't understand it. And that may be because they're afraid because yeah. they don't like being hands off with a dog or they don't want to physically touch a dog because they don't you know, it may seem to them like they're hurting the dog or roughhousing is bad or, you know, all that other nonsense. But, uh, but it's such an important topic. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that's just a small glimpse into what I've done uh, and what's worked for me with almost no effort, right? Just, yeah. just just, having to really get down and not be fearful at all. Of course, you have to have some experience. Like, Brian, you know, we want to be able to read the dog's body language. You don't want to put yourself in harm's way. But anyway, there's other things like chewing. Um, and they go on to say that... Uh, this is actually the one that I agree with. They said, you know, uh, which, while chewing is normal, you can redirect the behavior. For example, you don't want them chewing on your shoes. You can replace it with an approved toy. Fine, no problem. I don't have a problem with that. Another tip is to schedule a 30-minute exercise day or exercise per day. So that's good. No problem there. Well, okay. it should it should be more for most dogs, but 30 minutes is better than nothing. Yeah, 30 minutes is minimum because if you put 60 minutes, you're, you just lost a sale. <laughs> yeah. Of course, yeah, you think, oh, well, that's too much, right? People right. have this. Yeah, that's true. It's the same thing when you buy an exercise uh, program. You don't want them to say, hey, you need an hour. And no, you want them to say five minutes, ten minutes. Yeah, good point. So anyway, it's a hu- it's human nature as well that we have to cope with and accept. Hey, are we being lazy? Are we being fair? Do we need to, do we need to step it up? It can't. We can't just simply say it's the dogs, this, this, and that behavior. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's us. And Brian, actually, I, I will revise that and say a lot of times it's us most most of the time is yeah. what i tell my clients yeah and the other one here number nine i skipped a few aggression uh now they agree or i'm sorry they agree that it's not common but if your dog lunges snaps or bites <clears throat> seek help from a veterinary behaviorist oh that again Ugh. so it, i i can understand that they're trying to cover their ass right but you know sometimes the vets have have basic knowledge about behavior but a lot of times brian you have more experience than i do sometimes they're not really they're not really they don't have the experience to deal with aggression even though we don't want people to go ahead and do it either we don't want them to be in harm's way but the veterinary thing is interesting a lot of the pet places will hand off the buck as they say and be like well talk to your vet you know they may they may need medication which is Oh, it ends yeah. up happening a lot of times. These dogs get you know, medicated so they get sedated. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's a whole other thing. But uh, Brian, you can speak speak on that a little bit, and then we can wrap it up. So, yeah, yeah. about the uh, the veterinarian thing. Um, I read this in an article a while ago, and, and uh, so maybe maybe things have changed in the past couple of years. But uh, um, but in the in the three or four year program that veterinarians go through, this article said that they've received two weeks of dog behavior training two weeks out of several years of training so they really don't know much about it they focus on on the body and not the mind which is which is fine we're happy to focus on the mind they can they can fix the body um but i've actually found that some of the some of the most unlearned or ignorant uh, clients that i've had have been veterinarians or 
vet techs, you know, the, 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 the people yeah. that, that do a lot of the work there because yeah. they just haven't had the training in it and they're trying to do what's right for the, for the dog. But then they did get the dog in the, in the room and they just, they, you know, they've got 20 other dogs they've got to help that day. And so they just want to get the dog at shots or take its temperature or whatever. And the dog's on a slippery floor because they want a, a, a sterile environment. And, um, and you know, the dog may not be comfortable there. The people may not be comfortable with the owners. And so you end up putting a dog in a situation where he's not likely to be happy and and comfortable and then you crowd him with three or four or five people and then start poking him yeah and if you do all that and don't take the time to say you know what i'm just going to sit next to near this dog and chill out everyone else leave the room and this dog and i are going to get to know each other and we'll take as long as it takes yeah if you don't do something like that you're likely to uh, to have bigger problems than if you know you had done this out outside or or a, di- a different situation, so yeah, consulting veterinarians—that's a tough thing. But again, the good news is is veterinarians are now referring uh, to to us at least at least in this area. So so we're yeah. happy to to help out um, with that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, a, a a good vet veterinarian should have resources outside of the vet yeah. hospital because that tells you something, right? That tells you that they're understanding their limitations. And they're also looking for other resources that could give a more holistic approach, right? Right. I remember talking to a bunch of former clients when they had anxious dogs for whatever reason. And I was surprised how many of them were medicated. Mm. And and medications that we would use, right, as humans. It's like the same thing applies for them. Oh, they're depressed? Give them this. Oh, they're anxious? Sedate them with this. Tranquilize them. Whatever. It's crazy. But... Maybe it's not because as humans, we've gotten there too, right? As people, we've kind of started fixing our problems with medicine, <laughs> medicine as well. And that's a whole other topic, of course. But, but just something I observed too when, when, I, uh, when I was speaking to people and they came forth about the medications their dogs were on. Yeah, and you know, that's something I got to say. I really give the veterinarians a lot of credit because most of them that I've spoken to are very open to the, the possibility that let's start with looking at the behavior first before we start medicating. And when I make a statement like that, a lot of veterinarians are like, you know what, that's a good idea. I would rather do that than, than medicate a dog. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, that's really in, encouraging to, to hear. Yeah. And so ba- basically we're about educating people, uh, letting them see all an alternative viewpoint that we believe in because we've tried it over and over and we continue to do it over and over and we have some of the most challenging cases and we don't have to put a pouch on people's waists, make sure they have a bunch of tools <laughs> and bags. Yeah, it's, it, it, we want people to be empowered, right? We don't want the powerful it, the thing, to be the, the treat, right? right. Or uh, what did you call it the other day, an air horn? Someone was using an air horn, what was it? Yeah, the the guy video I watched today, the guy had a little uh, air air compression type gun thing, and he would spray it at the dog, and it made a sound. But when he did that, I was like, okay, I could make almost the identical sound with my mouth, but the dog would look at me when I corrected it, not look at the tool. Right. And yeah, so so what what Carlos is saying here is we want to empower people to be successful with their dogs using the tools that you have on you at all times, which is your energy, your body language, your voice, and your touch. Not to have a bag of treats, not to have to have a tool belt and a glow-in-the-dark vest and an air horn and a radio, you know, for, for animal control and all this other nonsense that you don't need. It's just about your relationship with their do- with your dog. 
Yeah. So in short, we don't recommend the pet store training classes at all. I don't. And I can speak firsthand because I actually work there. And I see what they try yeah. and sell people on. And also, I just don't want people wasting money, plain and simple. No, of course not. Um, but um, it, it is widespread and it is out there. So that's why we're addressing it in this particular topic to give people understanding. Yeah, we understand and accept that a lot of people have gone through this, this method of training. But we also have seen the other end of this type of training, which is frustration and a lot of ineffective commands and repetitive, uh, 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 well, commands that they use over and over again that just leads to more frustration. Yeah. So, so let's leave our viewers with a few tips on how sure. they can maybe yeah. uh, find or look for a trainer that's gonna that's gonna suit them and and be effective for them. Sure. So the first thing that, that, um, you know, I, I want people to feel comfortable to feel like number one, I'm actually listening to them on the phone. Like I care about them and care about their situation that I understand. I want to, I want to develop a rapport with them. And it's not just for business because there are plenty of conversations I have with people. If I say, you know, if you don't like what, uh, what you're hearing from me, I can give you the name of, of, uh, some other people to work with. I want people to want to work with me because of what they've heard on the on the phone with me, and you know because of our reputation. So you know, see if see if you can develop a, a rapport with someone, and you know you you like what they have to say, but also look at their um, at their reputation, meaning that online reviews, or you get a referral from oh, your absolutely. from your vet or or someone you you trust, and maybe um, you know like us, you've seen you've seen them work, or maybe seen a video of them working, and you get you get results. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, well, you want to sign us up, Brian, and uh, we'll uh, see you guys around next time. But basically, this is Carlos and Brian. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Please uh, please give us a thumbs up on this video and and like us on follow us on Facebook um, and and rate us on the review here. If you have any questions, feel free to contact us at gooddogworkshop.com or to call me directly at 703-489-1319. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Thank you.